Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, and two men who I imagine you all know pretty well by now, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beatty, and former France international, Benjamin Kayser, who every time I turned my TV or radio on this weekend, one of you was there. Good weekend? Mate, overall, really good weekend. I'm, I'm just chuffed every time there's a Six Nations game that delivers everything that we wanted. Even, even the Italy-England game, which was pretty rubbish to watch. I was just happy to see 30,000, 40,000 Englishmen who were able, or people, who were able to go over to Rome, enjoy the sunshine, 12 degrees, and everybody was drinking rosé, almost taking their shirts off. You know, there was the typical thing. But Sunburnt. Listen, yeah, but that's everything that we love about Six Nations. It's the traveling, it's the fun, it's the people having big smiles on their face, and then rugby becomes irrelevant. But on top of that, when in Stade de France, you have an absolutely incredible game with two teams that properly went at it, then it just makes it special. Mate, the stadium, like Benji, I know you were in Cardiff but I almost felt bad for you I know Cardiff's an amazing place but you would have absolutely loved Paris on Saturday it was just amazing the pyrotechnics and the vibe in the stadium and the noise and the excitement all the way through the game that I'm sure we'll talk about and then it's the after you know as well. you know if you're trying to make us feel better you're bluntly making you worse <laughs> you know that right but we're gonna end up in the same place eventually but and it's what you talked about it's the little bits that you forget like the bits about the weekends away in Six Nations Rugby and Again, everyone having beers at the beer stand outside the stadium. And then the best bit for me was actually coming back to the hotel and seeing Irish boys that had 12 pints of Guinness trying to talk French and talk kick strategy with Irish boys that had three bottles of wine and were trying to talk, talk English. You know, like just that kind of stuff that you forget and you miss crowds back in making the experience proper again and then being able to debrief and exchange and, and the sort of cross-border stuff that we all love and we, we've all missed for, for two, three years. An amazing weekend. Really lucky to have been there again. Really lucky to have been there in the autumn for the All Blacks game. Um, and this one, again, was up there. And apart from being very jealous of Johnny, Benji, what did you make of the game? Because France are the only team left with Grand Slam hopes still alive. What impressed you most? It's not like I, I can't say that what impro- impressed me the most was Ireland. But definitely to have <laughs> yeah. that no, be a surprise. Except yeah, we'll take but that. To, but to be honest, I actually didn't think Ireland could could play that well. No. They really they did really impress impress me. And what I'm trying to say is that I think what I was the most impressed by is France had to take it a whole different level that I thought that they reached already in November against New Zealand. I actually thought it was a harder game than New Zealand game. What, what, what we were faced on against on Saturday. So it's, it's basically to give credit where it's due. We had a fantastic game because there was two teams that were absolutely incredible. What makes me even happier is that you think when they've reached the top, I mean, if you, if you look, you bring it back two years, winning England at home in February 2020 was already the Mount Everest for us, right? France were back and they were smoking the, the finalist of, of the last World Cup and they were doing really well. And you're thinking they've peaked. 
That's all they can do. And they just gradually get better and better and better. And, and this one for me really feels like a step ahead. It feels like they were seriously challenged, that they could have lost it, that there were some incredible moments. They started off with an absolute bang, you know, and, and that, that's what really sort of makes me think that obviously they need the crowd, but they can swallow all that pressure. Antoine Dupont was average against Italy. He was outstanding for the first 20 minutes against Ireland. He was absolutely all, all over the place. You know, to give you an example, he plays that, that first line out really quick, leads by example, blah, 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 scores the first try a couple of seconds later. So I was hugely impressed by the tactics. Six forwards on the bench proved to be key. I was hugely impressed by the opposition. I thought they were absolutely mind-blowingly quick, better than anybody we faced in the last years. And when you say that you faced Australia and New Zealand and England, it's a big statement. And I was just really, really, really impressed by how France dug deep. Still, I feel it was it was an all-around best performance we've seen in 11 years. Let's just put it that way. So that's how impressed I was. Well, you mentioned the opposition, Benji, and how impressed you were with them. And it's about time we got some balance on. Let's get an Irish perspective on the game. Former Ireland hooker and ex-Grenoble coach Bernard Jackman joins us. How are you? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. We just heard Benji's viewpoint. He was impressed with Ireland. What did you make of the game? I thought we showed a lot of character, um, a lot of spirit, uh, good fitness, um, because we were completely dominated, to be honest. I mean, if Ireland had won that match, it would have been one of the greatest um, mysteries of, of all time. Uh, if you look at if you look at physical dominance, I, I thought France were incredibly impressive. Um, but Ireland... When they got that opportunity to kick to the corner, they, they mauled uh, they mauled over once well. Um, Gibson Park took a try well. And we got a lucky break for the Mac Hansen try and, and Carberry kicked well. So we stayed in the game. France's discipline is, is probably the one area that they need to improve on. I know they're working with Jerome Garces. Um, they do give up penalties, sometimes quite needlessly. Now they are a team that go after you at the breakdown. So that's always a, a risk. But yeah, I was look at for us to get a losing bonus point, I think is a really good result for us. And now we gotta hope that France um slip up. But I think the Irish team, the Irish team are on a, a good trajectory. We probably lack a bench, to be honest. Um I think that you know France were able to change the whole front five by the 55th minute. We still had Tyke Foyle on and Andrew Porter on in the 72nd minute, and they're out in their feet, but we don't have the same level of replacements that France have, and that's the concern for us. And 18 months out from a World Cup, I think Farr is going to have to decide what he's going to do in terms of his bench because we have guys like Connor Murray, Keane Healy, Peter Mahoney, who are really good players, but you know, they're more guys to come on and protect the lead rather than to go chase a game. And, and I think that's maybe um, something we learned pretty, um, uh, pretty clearly against France. Last week in our preview with Simon Zebo, we were saying, look, this Irish side really, ball in hand, and again, Wales were completely different opposition, but ball in hand, 1-15, to 15, looked very, very attractive. Then you come into a completely different type of defence. France played with a blitz, put them under real pressure, forced them to make mistakes, coughed up ball, slowed that ball down, and, and Ireland just couldn't really cope. So is it just a defence that... Ireland hadn't come up against before the type of defence or was it just pure physicality or combination? Yeah, look, I think the problem for us is we haven't been exposed to that. New Zealand got more line speed than they had before, but they're not a, a blitz defence. Argentina were out in their feet when we played them in um, in November. Wales had a poor performance against us. They weren't as physical as they, as they normally are. So we've had, you know, we had the best rook speed going into, the, into that game and we have big ball carriers. I mean, it's the most athletic Irish team we've ever had. Like, Keller, Furlong, Porter, Doris, Conan. You know, it's not a small team, but 
against France, we got absolutely smashed. Like Ireland have have a good balance between playing front door and back door, um, and that's been a big feature of how our attacks develop. But you can't always play back door. Sometimes you have to go to the line. And uh, when we went to the line, I think we got hit with such ferocity. Uh, the ball became slow, and then your next option to go out the back isn't as easy. And then you got to go front door again, and um, and that's it. And I just think France, France have found you know a really good balance between really physical, aggressive players who want to defend, and that's Sean Edwards' effect, and um, and and obviously that's the identity and that's the the team spirit. But players now seem to want to defend harder for France than they maybe did in the past and that's a, no, I'll say they didn't do in the past but there's a collective mindset there around defending and like people say oh, I did a show tonight and, and they said oh we learn a lot from that but like what we really learn like um, you know a, a big powerful athlete uh, who's bigger and more powerful than you is always going to be hard to overcome you know you can't run away from a fight in a Six Nations or a, or a Champions Cup run-in you have to be able to match go to the go to the to the to the wall as such and that's the challenge for us and I think you know it's going to take us a while to to figure out a plan during the week there was two big calls for me one on the Irish side was unfortunately Johnny Sexton was out for injury and Joe Carberry was in there for me it was the best news ever for France right and in Ireland or in the UK at least I was seeing a lot of newspapers saying finally Carberry is going to be forced to have his big shot Right, so I, I I really don't know where that conversation was coming from, but I think in a game that's going to be so tight, so so narrow, adapting on the day to that really aggressive defense, uh, blitz defense, the probably the best guy you would want to have on the pitch would have been Johnny Sexton. On the other side, unfortunately, we lost France. We lost Jonathan Dante, and then Moefana comes in. Bloody hell, was he good? It's a really good point, Benjamin. I don't, I thought we had a better chance of winning with Sexton, and so did the bookies. I mean, it went from handicap of minus two to minus five as soon as he was out but I do think I do think we're never going to replace Johnny Sexton because his influence on the team is far greater than the amount of times he touches the ball and and that kind of player is so rare to get so I, I thought Carby did really well like we're delighted with Carby because he's always been a talented player but hasn't had the chance to to play in the in the really big games so that's that's a positive that looks like he's clearly number two but the, the challenge is to have you know, uh, more people take ownership. Like, for example, Intimac, he's a gifted player, but Antoine Dupont takes a lot of the, the game management as, as is traditional in, in France. So we've Gibson Park, who's a who's a tempo type nine. He, he plays fast. So he relies on his 10 to control things. And I know speaking to some of the players, I was looking enough to play with Johnny, but players speaking who play with him now say he sees the game two steps ahead of everybody else and he, he, he makes people get in position. So... The problem for us is that, you know, we're locked and loaded now in World Cup cycle, 18 months to France. We may run into France in a World Cup, all going well. And we are very, we're going to be very reliant on Conor Murray, Johnny Sexton, Keane Healy, Peter Mahoney. And that's going to be 18 months further down the road. Whereas I think you guys going to Australia last year without all your frontliners allowed you guys find, you know, Jaminet and, and you know, Vidier. Some more talent, Rockies obviously come through. So... I think your strength and depth is like you've no Teddy Thomas, you've no Vakatara, um, you know Dante, you know you've no Jali Bear, and, and you're still still in pretty good shape. I mean, for me, uh, like I think Marshan is world class, and you're taking Marshan off for of 55 minutes to bring on 
you know, Mulvaca, who's who's pretty pretty good as well. And like you've got Bougery and I'm sorry for my pronunciation, but I like the La Rochelle hooker. You probably know five hookers playing the top fourteen Benjamin who could who could play international rugby and uh Camille is not even in there. Yeah, Camille Shah, exactly. So it's pretty mind boggling uh what you've got. Julien Marchand's all right. He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> the boys laugh because I've I actually I I know his family quite well and okay. I I rate him highly. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> the type of, of hooker that I like because because I think he's very reliable. He's very good on the basics. He, for me, he's made for international rugby. Yeah. He hardly makes a mistake. He's deadly over the ball. He's very good at scrum line out to overall activity. He's got that right balance of power, but he's got a good engine on him. He yeah. can, and it, it's funny how I, you, you mentioned Movaka. Yes, but Movaka will always scare me. I think somewhere, somehow he might, he might do something incredible, but he might cock it up too. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Julien Marchand, I think, is, is his main asset is that he's super, super reliable, which made him captain of Toulouse when he was 22. So, yeah, I, I sort of rate him, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and on the coaching side of things, Bernard, obviously, you were a coach in France. You mentioned Sean Edwards earlier on. Just give us an insight into the job you think he's done. Yeah, look, he's brilliant. So, when I went to drag, so Gatland was my first ever coach in professional being Connacht, and he. He told me to go to Dragons. It was a good project. Now he lied to me, but um, uh, no, no, I got to spend I got to spend some time in in, in camp trying to try to learn. And, and Sean Edwards is phenomenal, and he keeps it so simple. Um, I know good systems should be simple, but it's his ability to get players to play for him. I saw players in Wales who who to miss a tackle for Sean, you know, put the fear of, of God into him. And he's not just always you know hard man. Push, push, push. He he's got a softer side. He's he's able to build relationships. And I I, I watched some of stuff from you know, he's trying to learn. He's trying to speak French um, as much as he can. But I, I just think I think he was a brilliant appointment. But also, my understanding of it is is that when he was approached about the job, and he looked, he obviously knows France very well, having coached Wales for so long. He insisted that there was no point getting him unless they brought in a kicking coach, Flock Killier. And uh, he's like, well, look, I can put the best defensive system in the world, but if you kick really poorly all the time, no, no defense is going to be able to withhold that. So himself and Brock Killier, you know, built their, their kicking strategy. And obviously, you know, I think both are much, much improved. Obviously, I think they're fitter than ever they were. And then you've got, you know, Fabian, who's, who's obviously very intelligent. Um, and then you've got Raphael at, at the top and, and Lauren Abid. Like, it's a, it's a very nice staff, you know what I mean? And, and, and from my, always, my opinion always was, was that I know they paid Gino this big money, but uh, good money, but... It didn't seem to the, the most money was being made in the top fourteen or, or coach somewhere else. It, it, it was it was kind of federation coaches doing the national team. Whereas now I think you've got guys who've who've been at the top level and they complement each other, you know, really well. But uh, yeah, Sean Sean has them has them revved up, and it's not it's very similar to what they did in Wales. But you know, his big focus is slowing the ball down with two man tackles. But what, he, what he's doing with France that he couldn't do with Wales is like really being aggressive on the counter look. Um, and that's probably because you know even well, it's not even the big guys. Vidier, Vidier can get it started, and once once they see it's once someone gets a little bit of uh, go forward, they just flood that breakdown, and it becomes um, it becomes a nightmare. I saw a really nice piece in French media this morning. Uh, Fabien Galtier was just saying that when they were handing out the jerseys on Friday, uh, Gabin Villier stood up in front of everyone and said, "Lads, this weekend it's going to be absolute war, and I'm going to be at the front." And he absolutely like freak show for the size of him. Uh, what mad. he gets through and, and again from being turned away at Ruan as a scrum half being told mate you can't pat you can't catch you can't kick your heels click together when you run go and do something else like to where he is now 
It's insane. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Fabian, because obviously you've been a head coach in the yeah. top 14. You've coached against Fabian when he was at Montpellier, when he was there coaching me. You coached against his blitz defence as well when we were at Montpellier, who played the yeah. out in defence. What kind of job? You mentioned his staff there, but you mentioned intelligent coach, coaching against them. What is it that you've seen and what is it that you enjoy about Fabian Galti as a head coach, the way he sets up his teams and the bloke? My understanding of it is that he found coaching club players very frustrating. He struggles to see why people can't see what he saw when he played. And I think now he's got a, a gifted group who, who can do what you know, he could do. And he's obviously a phenomenal player. Um, I know that Joe Schmidt, who's a real like technician, you know, would have copied or used a lot of Fabian's strike plays and um, you know, saw him as a, a very if I was, to be honest, in Ireland we've seen him as always being the most uh, technically gifted uh, French coach. And I also think tactically as well. I think the problem was maybe personality in terms of being able to build relationships with players, being able to deal with that week in, week out. Um, but I do think now, you know, going into block into a block of, of, of Six Nations November, that's great because he can just really focus on building things. And I said now he has a group of players who can do do what he wants and maybe more, you know. So um but I I, I always found him a real like so I, even when we we're both coaching head coaching in Grenoble and he was in Montpellier, we both did a bit of TV work. After a top 14 match, it was difficult to to you know really get on well with an opposition coach or both get on a bus or whatever. But I used to get to meet him at Six Nations games or, or um you know in, in Europe and you'd have four hours in, in the press box or you maybe sharing a, a cab back and you know he, he knows the game inside out. Um and uh, I'm glad to see him because obviously Montpellier ended badly then Toulon ended badly and you know you'd wonder was he going to get back into it but um he seems to have got the perfect job with the right group of players with the right target of being a world cup you know while we're on your time at uh, Grenoble you were there five or six years so how did that move come about so I was I, I wanted to play in France but it wasn't good enough so uh I said when I retired I, I'd try and get a coaching job there and a guy I played with in Connacht was the captain um in Grenoble we were in the pro second division and we actually lost, we lost a home barrage. So we finished second in Pro D2, or I wasn't there this stage, but they finished second in Pro D2 and lost to Bordeaux, who finished fifth in Stade Lidiguerre in Grenoble. So you can imagine the club obviously haven't finished second and probably thought, you know, we have a great chance of going up and to lose at home in the in a semi-final um, was a big blow. So the coach had kind of, Fabien, uh, Fabrice Landreau, another hooker, was the director sportif. He kind of spent his budget for the following year, but he realised... It was shit. It's going to be hard to go back to the well with the same staff. So um, he said, oh, I'd love to bring in someone to do some defense consulting. So we basically did a deal that I'd go for six weeks in preseason. The preseasons in France are, are pretty uh, short compared to obviously what we would have been used to, Johnny, in in, uh, in Ireland or Scotland and uh, or England. And um, so I went for six weeks. We shook hands at the end of that six weeks that if Grenoble got promoted, I'd go back full time the following year. So I came back to Ireland, was doing some media, was doing some coaching here. And he brought me over then full time for the following year. I ended up staying for five years. It was great, but yeah, we had we had a problem with money in the end, and uh, our, our benefactor Serge Comp passed away. The guy who owns the jetty and Cap Gemini, and there was a bit of a run on the bank, and uh, we had to start selling. We sold Paul Willems actually to Montpellier to try and pay the bills. So uh, I wouldn't mind having kept him. He's a pretty good player. Just give us a picture of what coaching in France was like then. It's very different if you're with a um, a club who are playing for the Manchan to, to stay up. We were sending 
players on a bus like who should never play in top 14 uh, because we need to get our GIF quota up. And uh, like when he, I wasn't head coach the first two years, three years, but when I became head coach on a Monday, he'd have to go to the president with the team and he'd look at the number of GIF and he'd be like, no, 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 no. That was interesting for me because, you know, you always think as a coach, you pick your best team every week. It wasn't really the case. Obviously, your target matches, home games are crucial. You try to pick up three or four away from home. But it was just, it was brilliant. I mean, like, we had a lot of guys who played Pro D2 for five, six, seven years. And for them to play Toulouse, they, they dreamed about that. So, like, emotionally, they were at a different level. And then the longer you stay in top 14, the better you have to be technically and tactically uh, because that emotion wears off. So, um, but I loved it. I mean, it's a phenomenal league and some good stories. Fabrice Andro was a, was, a, was a good character as well. And uh, uh, I didn't understand half the things he was doing, but uh, they, they worked for four years and he kept us up, which is, which is great. You know? Did he do Benny B? Did he do Benny his B, song? Yeah. Home win. Every home win he did the Benny yeah, B. Fa and, fa Fabrice Lando is a Stade Francais legend. He was a Grenoble with the Mammoths, the pack of yes. the Mammoths in the 1990s where they were absolutely massacring everybody. Uh, just pure size. And, uh, and then he came up to Stade Francais and stuff and did really well, got into the French team, retired from Stade Francais, picked up the academy. And I was a 15-year-old, uh, fat and very, very pale uh, hooker at the time. So, But he kind of liked me. So he got me all the way to the first team and stuff. So I've got a close relationship with him. But he's renowned for his song of Benny B, which is like a French rapper, whatever. But he does it shirt off <laughs> in the bus. Benny B. Whatever he just does it, and he's a legend. Absolutely, but he's a legend. But great story about him. So he was brilliant at targeting games, and um, like half the half the fun was on a Monday morning. He'd be looking at all the other results, and then he'd be looking at the calendar, and he was saying, "Right, Breve are going to go to Racing. They get one point there. Perpignan are going here." And so basically, it all worked out. So we had four games to go, and he basically worked out that we were safe. Anyway, the, so he sent a couple of our foreigners back to New Zealand, so they get an extra three weeks holidays. We had a couple of guys who needed operations. He got he sent them to get operations, right? <laughs> so we were left with basically just you know a very young young team and some guys that we, we we weren't keeping the following year, so they were totally unmotivated. Results went against us, right? So we knew we we knew we weren't going to get anything, but other teams won games that they weren't supposed to. So it came down to the, the very last day of the season. We were going to Toulouse away and Perpignan were going to Claremont, right? Now, Perpignan had won the top 14 maybe two years before that. So Perpignan were good. They just had a really bad year. If Perpignan won and we got nothing, we were relegated, right? So anyway, it was too late. We'd already picked the team of Espoirs and we were, we were on the bus to Toulouse from, from Grenoble. And we used to stop in Montpellier at the same hotel every time we were going that way. And next thing, the bus goes off down um, towards the is it estuary or, or it's famous for oysters, right? So anyway, we're driving down this little road, and I said to Fabrice, uh, "Where are we going?" He goes, "Oh, repas special, right?" So it's just like a special meal. So we go into this little village. There's no hotel. There's no restaurant. And next thing, these fishing boats are coming in, and Fabrice is waving because he knows everybody, right? And uh, it's not given like oysters, right? So um. So the, the lads are smashing oysters and there's no carbs, there's no rice, there's no pasta. And we're playing to lose like that evening, right? So I said to Fabrice, Fabrice, there's no carbohydrates. He goes, ah, uh, to our reason, right? So he goes off. He goes off. The next thing I see them come back with white wine, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was like what? So carbs are not. The soup, the soup, whatever. <laughs> so, the, so the lads are having their wine and oysters. Within a half an hour, everyone's there in the back of us. <laughs> so we go to lose and um, 
Oh, we're getting spanked. At, 40, after, at halftime, it's 40 points. And uh, next thing, Perpignan are winning in Claremont. I'm not sure if you were there, Benjamin. I've played that game. Our match was happening on the pitch, and all the coaches are watching oh, the, the game in, in Claremont on an iPad. Oh, man, it's crazy. But look, at it was fun. Mate, I remember that game because there's like a penalty at the end. Yes. We go If we go to touch to try to go for bonus point or something, whatever, and if we lose the touch, whatever, they have one more shot. Yeah. And Guillaume Girardo, who was playing with us in a French team with Morgan Parra at the time, He's like, he's begging him. Like, I've never seen anything like it. He's like, Morgan, please don't take the shots. Please don't. Yeah. Because if we take it, there's like a minute and a half, the game's done, right? And he's like, please, I'm begging you a bit. He is crying on yeah. the pitch. Kick Shit. it to touch. Kick it to touch, please. And at the end, they had a fallout and stuff. But Morgan's like, mate, it's not about you. It's not about yeah. Perpignan. I'm just about scoring more points. Don't want to take any risk. Even We would have still been qualified. Yeah. But whatever, we you you just want to you still want to win at home, right? There's not even a question. And I remember the tension was sky high, and I di- I didn't know that it was you guys on the other side. Yeah, we were the other side, and uh, like so, he was going look at they won't win in Claremont, and we were like, but Claremont not, not really to play for, and probably yeah. they were actually good. Uh, but yeah, look at saving the boys on oysters and wine in the pre-match <laughs> meal, mate. That's what you were saving. <laughs> I was going to ask you as well. Did did you not was not something stirred up at Grenoble when your coach? Did you not ban them from desserts for a bit as well, and that caused absolute <laughs> uproar as well? That was exaggerated. So um, <laughs> so basically, what happened was we went up to Abduez uh, for training camp because uh, it's very hot in Grenoble in the summer. So we used to try and go up to Abduez um, to get a little bit of fresh air and, and train up there. Basically, our body fat. So this was our fourth year in top fourteen. So everybody's getting really comfortable. <laughs> so. Uh, some of the boys came back, and now I was always in Fat Club myself. So I'm not, telling, I'm not saying I was the same, but um, I used to get out of Fat Club at some stage. Uh, so the boys came back, body comp, ridiculously bad. The team doctor, the team doctor over there, Grenoble anyway, had a load of power. Like he was really powerful, nearly like a head, nearly more powerful than the head of SNC, more powerful than the head of um, uh, the head physio. Anyway, he based next thing I saw, we'd have like really nice desserts at, at dinner at night, and that's no problem. But then the ones that were left over would come out in the morning with breakfast, right? Okay. And then, uh, so basically some of the boys would be having their, their, express, their cafe and uh, like whatever, like little, little tart. And the desserts in France are beautiful. Um, but they wouldn't have any like protein. And this is pre-season or whatever. So then at lunchtime, there was more desserts, right? So I went to the doctor and said, look at what's going on. He's all, they're training so hard. We need to, for their mind, for the test, right? And I was like, yeah, but like half these lads are in, in fat club right so we're getting them up at six o'clock in the morning to try and get them the extra cardio and then they're having like uh, chocolate cakes for breakfast lunch and dinner so uh he, he he went to some of the players Arno Higgy, you probably went against him uh yeah he's a, a he's a legend yeah so Arno wasn't happy about this the coach getting involved in the nutrition and stuff and uh so eventually we agreed that we just have dessert at night Anyway, I got to Ruby Ram or someone like that. And uh, yeah, it became, I was trying to ban desserts, which I never, I like dessert myself. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to take, take we all of a dessert. <laughs> so uh, it was just funny. Right. Going back to the rugby quickly. If I was playing against France and I was Scotland next game, I would refuse the physical confrontation. I would just kick everything, which is yeah. really dull. But Scotland aren't going to be able to match that, I no. don't think. So how do you think other teams are going to play against France and try and take them on? Who are you now tipping to win the championship, if not Grand Slam. There's only one team that can do it. And what did you make of the Irish choice to go for points and not go for the corner? Okay, yeah, so I'll go backwards. So I think we should have kicked to the corner. I think, ironically, we actually, had, obviously we'd scored from a mall, even though we weren't as big and powerful as, but we had a very good technically uh, constructed mall. And I thought France at that stage, their impact, their players off the bench hadn't really found a rhythm in the game, um, even though they made a lot of changes and we were on top. And I also thought that, 
I think kicking it gave them a minute under the post just to get a little bit of air. They obviously kicked it long. We got into a kick tennis battle and eventually Ireland kicked it out on the, uh, and they won that kick tennis and and, and then, then he got going. I mean, at the end, I thought uh, the bench for France, the last seven or eight minutes were really good and powerful. And I thought Jaminet, that was a try. I mean, if the referee doesn't say um, it's not a try, I think the TMO gives it. I think if Sexton's there, we kicked to the corner. And I'm not saying we would have scored, but I just thought that was the right thing to do. I think France will win it now. I'm fascinated to see though how they will how they will deal with going away from home. But they seem to be relishing these these milestones, these opportunities, the All Blacks. They, they seem to really build up the Ireland game. I think they saw that as being a, a key game. So I do think France are good enough to to go and win it now. How would I play against them? Yeah, I agree. You need to kick a lot. I think the problem is is that you can't just play a one three three one shape and expect to do what you do all the time. So I think if you are going to keep the ball in hand, let's play closer to the hook. So the problem is if you look at what France did, and I'll send you a clip. So from the scrum from the scrum penalty in the 37 minute when they got advantage, they played this pattern where all the forwards got around the ball and they just went like at a second defender, punching, punching through. And eventually DuPont makes a little half break and eventually Bundyaki strips it. But they did that two times or three times in the game. They did it against New Zealand. And it's like, right, we're going to take you on. Okay. Now I know Ireland or Scotland aren't equipped to do that to a certain same extent. But if you have a nine who can snipe and can put people into into space or just on the gain line, very close to that first and second defender. No matter how big France are, it's very difficult. They don't get blind speed. And I think then you just start to compact them a little bit. But I think everybody plays that long pass off nine to the second forward with a tip on and in. And by the time he gets it, he can't even put footwork on. Smashed. Smashed, yeah. So I wouldn't be doing that against them. Just one quick one before we let you go, Bernard. You mentioned at the start, there is every chance that these two will meet again in a World Cup quarterfinal. And we know Ireland's history in them. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it's difficult to learn things when there is a, a physicality difference. Andy Farrell's going to have to learn things from it. Is there a sense of trepidation that you might meet them? Absolutely. I think um, because I think they're on track to be, for me, the top three in the world uh, by then. You know, South Africa, you'd imagine, will come back strong. Obviously, have a very predictable game plan to do really well. New Zealand, you know, in a year's time, they should be in good shape. But I think France are shaping up really well. The problem is the players will will know how powerful France were. They'll have experienced. I mean, like some of the cleanouts, the carries in contact, the meters after contact were were scarily good. It's very difficult to con a team that you know doing an extra weight session or or a little bit of more of a breakdown technique is going to make any difference. There's a cleanout by Penno. And, Mo, and Mofana on Bundiaki, he just goes mm-hmm. like he just goes flying. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a clean out on Josh van der Fleer, I think, by uh, by Aldrid in that in that series. Like, okay, it's illegal, but like it doesn't matter. Once you're going forward, like France are going forward, the referee will give you the benefit of the doubt. And uh, I'm interested actually uh, the role that, that uh, Jerome Garces has Ben Benjamin in, in, uh, in that in that coaching setup, like. Is he there just to referee training or is he there to, to build a relationship with the referee that's coming uh, up that week? You know, it seems... I know that Montpellier brought in a, uh, an ex-referee as defence coach. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be giving referees coaching jobs now, but what's his role there? I think you're you're a clever bugger because <laughs> definitely they, a big role for him and you know how important it is before a game, especially international yeah. uh, game. A big role for him is to sneak in information into the refs before the game. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I think Joe Schmidt is worldly renowned for the amount of information he used to send to refs before a game. And it was almost too much to the point where they're like, mate, we, we only have a week to look at them, keep your clips for you. It's just, it's just simply too much. Right. So you're completely right. He, he's there for that, but it's also feeding information, which is fair, which is true. And with, with the relevant amount of expertise and pointers that make it digestible for refs, right. To, to you can sum it up in a way that will actually speak to them. Secondly, he uh, definitely works very much a bit like Richard McCall used to do what's the rule how can i get around it yeah. type of mindset but thirdly which is the main reason why france is doing so well is that i think you well, obviously you experienced grenoble but i was in the french team for t for 10 years i thought i dropped one or two levels of of intensity during the weeks whenever we would come up for the french team Fabien Galtier has transformed this and he called this the high intensity workouts, whatever. They do basically a full on opposition for 25 to 30 minutes every week. And it's usually on a Wednesday. It's a full tilt apart from don't kill yourself. You know, that, that the famous 90% rugby, yeah. which intensity, which doesn't really exist, right? There's this either 100 or 50. And, uh, and they do that with a ref. So they were a full tilt, nonstop repeating those efforts of Damien Penault, let me tell you, if he, if he does a clean where he melted somebody, that means he, he must have tripped over something <laughs> or he was really, really scared of being dropped if he didn't do it because it's definitely not something that he likes. So his role is absolutely huge. Figuring out ways around the rule um, with players, especially around rucks and, and around the forwards play, uh, feeding information to the refs before the game and pops potentially getting feedback after the game. Yes, getting their points across because you know that the winners sort of dictate the way that the the ref the the play the the the, the games are refed 100. And then then there's there's also a big element of those Wednesday high intensity sessions that he refs. There we go. Thanks ever so much for coming on and sharing your insight, Bernard. And um. Mutual love there. Benji said before you came on, he was impressed by Ireland. Fair to say you were impressed by France. No, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. No, and look, guys, thanks for having me on. I, I listened to this podcast and uh, I really enjoy your, your expertise, analysis and, and, and fun. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for joining us, Bernard. Okay, thank you, guys. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Bernard pretty much nails everything in his coaching analysis there, but anything to add, guys? The only thing I can add is that when he says he doesn't want to go back into coaching, he's bluntly lying to us, mate. He's made <laughs> he's for it. He's made he's for it. He absolutely adores it. You could tell he's got a big smile on his face when it's about uh, having a look at who did what and how and understanding things around it. No, I think he's got a really great rugby brain uh, with a lot of expertise and 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 love for, and love for the game. But uh, no, no it's, I mean, it, look, what, what I adore is that when he asks questions about France, it's because... We're basically setting the trend. 
which which is the first in our history, pretty much. We used to be, you know, the French flair and all that. They were not setting the trend. They were just making sparkles from time to time. But now we're clearly leading the way in terms of the way that rugby is played at the moment. So th- this is extraordinary news. Very cool. I also get the feeling that once his kids are like 15, 16, they'll be off to boarding school and they'll be back. He <laughs> can tell he loves it. Right. So a very quick chat about the other games at the weekend then. We have to. Scotland, what happened? Another false storm? Um, uh, Just not accurate and disciplined enough when we needed to be, didn't control it well enough. Again, the the crazy thing is the past two years have been no crowds, right? Scotland get an emotional roller coaster. They beat England in a smash and grab. Then you go down to Principality. You haven't won there since 2002. And Scotland now have a squad that I feel is capable of beating everyone but that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna beat everyone every time and so they were in the game they've lost by one score and they just didn't control the game at moments that they needed to it was hugely physical like i think wales did really well to reduce their game plan and make it really tough for scotland and that was it like key clean outs at a few key moments and the game goes the other way just not quite disciplined enough again finn's yellow card was a sort of final nail in the coffin but just not quite tight enough not quite the level of execution that you need and you, you lose the game I don't, you were there live Benji what did it to you obviously it's different for me it's very very sore as a neutral how did you see it yeah, I, I was there commenting for French TV it was definitely not the same level as France Tyler in terms of intensity no. and skill and and all that but I, I really did think that um, it was a waste of opportunity for Scotland the game yeah. was there for the taking um, both teams doing well but committing too, too many errors I think the only thing you can underline is the resilience of, of of Wales, who just never gave up, and who were hanging around by a thread, and were clearly dominated, especially in the first half, of just kept on coming back and coming back. And in terms of leading by example, unfortunately, Finn made a couple of mistakes and got a yellow. And Dan Bigger played forty minutes on one leg, kicked the drop, the winning drop goal, and led in a beautiful, beautiful, in very, very impressive way. So on his hundredth as well, hundredth test, captain. Uh, full stadium at, at Millennium, which hasn't been, you know, since forever in, in Wales because they've been pretty strict with the whole COVID thing. For a Welsh side that obviously is under a huge amount of pressure, uh, getting pumped by Ireland and and some bad results in November. I was just I was just really impressed by by how much they wanted it, how much he wanted it and what he delivered. And I just thought the big players of Wales stood up. The big players of Scotland didn't. Next, let's move on. <laughs> And what of Italy, England? Did we learn much about either side? The only thing that you can speak about, um, or the only good news about this, is that people got a good weekend in Rome. The game was average. England were average. Italy were had nothing to offer. In the second half, some there were bits of it that I was just actually a little bit embarrassed about. Really? Very, mate, the second half, some bits were terrible. When they, you're already down by 30 points and you're still kicking in the corner and still kicking, That's the kicking bit up. There's nothing. For me. There's nothing. It's not even they're getting intercepted or, you know, a, a flick pass that gets that pops on the floor and it gets picked up or something. There was there was nothing in the second half. And even England didn't really play well in the second half. So nothing to offer. The, the, the sad bit for me was that Italy managed, I think it was 17 visits to England's 22 and they still didn't come away with the points. They just don't have that cutting edge yet. I mean, that being said, their under 20s beat England. About the weekend, six mm-hmm. 0 Um, they're under twenties, smash Scotland. So like, there's there's kids coming through, and obviously in this test team, none of them have got caps. They're completely inexperienced. They're it's so youthful. But that was it. Seventeen visits take something, bring something to the game. They scrapped. They, they tried to grind it out, but then again, you, for me, you hit the nail on the head. The the bit that I almost turned off the TV was 
I think England had maybe 50, 60 minutes, an attacking mall that sort of comes to nothing around about the halfway or 40 meter line for Italy and they box kick. And I was just like, just come on, something different, spectacle, a change in mindset um, because you've got the players, you've got the caliber, but it's like they're so set in their ways. Um, I don't understand there's different ways of winning games, but you just want to see them spark and fire and be creative and have fun. And I think that's what you get from the French side at the minute is you see how much fun they're having, what it means to them, what it means to the public. England right now is... They're winning games. Eddie Jones still has the highest winning win percentage of any English coach, but they just look bored. And I think people are bored watching them, which isn't great. But if there's one last thing I know on a positive for Italy is to say that a long time ago, there's a mate of mine who told me that the under 21s, the Italian under 21s were doing well. There was a strong generation that just got chucked and they were only 20, not even 21. They were still be able to play for the under 21s. I got chucked in the first team and went to New Zealand and got pumped, but then stuck with the friend uh, in, in, in that national side. And those boys are Martin Castro Giovanni, Sergio Parise, Gonzalo uh, Canale, and the Bergamasco, probably Mirko Bergamasco, Mauro was already playing for the, for the, for the national side. So if they have under 20s that are good, mate, get them on that bus. Like not in two years, no. now, now. Because yeah. because they they World won't Cup do anything time. and yeah get them in but yeah get them in now and at least they'll get some experience and you can get excited about it. I want to see a 19 year old Italian side and if they get pumped they get pumped I'll be the first one cheering on for them because these boys are are getting better by the minute. Well, we've chatted about the games, so should we have a quick look at how you're doing in the Guinness Match Pint Predictor? Do you know? No, I don't know. I must have done really well in the first round. Second round. Ooh. I was cheering on for Scotland, so I must have buckled down for that one. But the rest I did, I did good. Second round, not so good, Benji. Johnny overtook you this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he always does his predictions after me, though, right? Well, I do them so before you, the game. Just surfing, oh, it just has to be before the game. It doesn't <laughs> matter if they're after you. It's like I'm doing them after the final whistle and cheating. Johnny, you are third in the Guinness Legends League. Well done. I'll take it. Well, there's no Six Nations games this weekend, but that doesn't mean there's no chances to win prizes. There is a Guinness Sports Quiz on the Matchpoint app this Thursday. No doubt you'll both be taking part. Yes. I'm in. The format is simple. It's like a pub quiz. You've got 10 questions to answer. You're marked on getting the question right. How quickly you do it. Score more than 200 out of 300 points to beat the quiz and bag yourself a free pint of the black stuff. Free black stuff. I'm in. Right. Let's do a trial run. Three questions. Which player has scored the most tries in this year's Guinness Six Nations? Well, Gabavillier. It has to be him. He scored three the first one. I was going to give you multiple choice options, but you bang on. <laughs> there you go. You're already winning. You will both know this one. When was the last time France won the Six Nations? Uh, won the Six Nations in 2010. It was a grand slam. I got extra points. Extra points. Hey, make them harder, Tim. Come on. <laughs> Which player holds the all-time Six Nations point-scoring record? Dimitri Ashvili. It's not a Frenchman, Benji. It's not a Frenchman. Sorry. Johnny. Ogara. Ogara. Well done, Johnny. There you go. Do you know how many points? I'm going to say between five and 600. 557. Well done. Bonus point. When are France and Mexico win the Six Nations? Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, geez. 2022. Johnny? They've got it in them. I think they've got it in them this year, mate. I think so. <laughs> Hard to argue with that. To take part yourself, just fire up the free Matchpoint app on Thursday of this week and head to the Guinness Sports Quiz. And in the meantime, there were more than 20,000 pints won last week. 
for anyone who has a free pint to claim, head into the pint predictor, go to prizes, and you'll be able to find more than three and a half thousand pubs where you can claim your free pint of Guinness. Beautiful. Right. It's about time we did our meter moment of the week, isn't it? So do you want to go first, Benji? Yeah, I'll go first because I'm sure Johnny and completely rightfully will will pick out some incredible moment between France and Ireland, uh, most probably in the French side. And I think you will be totally right. I just want to give a big old shout out to Dan Bigger. I, I thought he did incredibly well. So my, my meter moment would be his last, especially his second half against Scotland, where he was absolutely on one leg. And he took a couple of big hits just before halftime where he stayed on the floor and then he got backed up and he limped his way back in. And there was clearly uh, absolutely no chance he was going to come off the pitch. And he scored the winning drop goal with a penalty advantage. And everybody in the stadium was like, why did you kick it? You know, having a go at him and stuff. In the end, it proved to be key. And, and he was incredible. I loved the moment. Now, there you go. That's my actual moment to sum up his whole thing. Before he comes off, there's a penalty for Wales. And he's about to kick it to touch. And he go, he sprints while well, he limps to the touch. He's like, can I kick it to touch and then get subbed off? He asked before because he wanted to make sure that he could have the f- most reach with his boot before, I think it was a Callum Sheedy who, who came on, the Bristol guy. And uh, so that's, you know, leading to the absolute last glimpse of moment that he could. And he found a beautiful touch, chucked the ball, fell on, on a chair. And, um, and I was really, really impressed by him. There was a beautiful interview with him by the end. He got a cheer by the whole crowd. And I think he was pretty chuffed. I, I didn't even connect that he was his 100th calf, but that's bloody yeah. hell. That's a huge achievement. So my meter moment would have been when he decided to kick the touch before he got subbed, but overall his second half where he tr- he showed incredible resilience and grit, just a big set of nuts really. And I was really impressed. Benji, you've got me. Um, I was going to go for a big defensive performance, the blitz defense, Gabon Villiers announcing during the week it's going to be freaking war and I'm going to bring it. I'm going to be the instigator um, because it was, it was a phenomenal team performance by France. They're now the only team unbeaten and still tilting at a grand slam. But my meter moment of the week was also Dan Bigger. <laughs> so you've got me. Um, I, mean, I thought the exact same as you. The way they got humbled as well in Ireland the week before, they needed an emotional change as, as did Scotland to continue and potentially win that game. But the way he led on his 100th, the way he kicked... A huge day for him, him and his team. They find a way to grind it out back in Cardiff at the Principality, which is such a hard place to go. But 100 test matches just in itself is phenomenal. But the way he led, the way he kicked, and then also the moment for me that I actually really enjoyed was him with one of his kids on the pitch after the game. I thought that must have been very cool to have done that for your country, drag them back, win the game, not single-handedly, but a very important piece as captain as well on your 100th test. So my meter moment of the week was also the performance and spirit and character shown by Dan Bigger this weekend. Well done him against Scotland. Pains me to say it, but well done you. That was Benji and Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 11 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. If you've ever said your pork or turkey's dry, then meter's for you. And you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the metaverse at meter.com and just use the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. And from the 11th of February to the 11th of March, you can be in with a chance of winning a trip to Marcus Borden's UK barbecue school in the heart of the Devon countryside with every purchase of an ultimate bundle. Ooh la la. 
just find the golden ticket and enjoy a day in the smoky meaty paradise of country wood smoke hq for more details and to be in with a chance to win visit meter.com and look for the ultimate bundle willy wonka's golden ticket for beef is that what i'm hearing <laughs> Smoky Paradise with the Golden. I'm loving this. The stuff that your dreams are made of, Benji. Mate, it sounds pretty dreamy, I must say. Should we briefly touch on the top 14 before we go as well? No. <laughs> we'll start there then, Benji. I wasn't going to, but it was your favourite game of the season. It didn't go too well. Mate, there's there's something wrong with my boys. So, no, for one, I'm, I'm not going to speak about their defeat in Breve. Rubbish game. Uh, they got melted. Um, nah, to be what, honest. on the Oysters and Wine pregame or just like during no, the game? No, no, no. Just, they, they, got, they got taken on everything that I hate to admit, but they, they got taken on heart. And Breve have got a shit ton of that. The only good news is that there's a young, exciting 10... Um, I think it's Miche, his, his, his last name, Gaba mm-hmm. Miche, who, who looks who looks pretty 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 handy, pretty good, pretty hot. Uh, the also good news is that um, our my mate Said Iresh announced that he was saying at, at brief another year, and he's a top human being. But in the end, in the in the der- derby, even if I don't think it's a derby of the Mafia Central, um, they got melted in the end, and that's disappointing. And it's just it's. it's 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 um it's the up and down sort of performances of Clamo that are getting a bit frustrating, even though I am mega mega excited about Champions Cup eighth of final, Clermont Tigers that will be ideal home home and back that'll be a perfect uh, way for me to to call it work but also to just to have an excuse to go back to Clermont and then and then to go back to Leicester so I just want them to be better than what they were last Saturday to seriously have a chance to actually you know, causing an upset at Welford Road because otherwise it will be a long afternoon. We don't want to talk about Claremont too much this week, Benji, but we'll ask you about Toulon then because you know Frank Azema very well. Yeah. Johnny, we spoke about it last week and you mentioned Pierre Mignoni's name. Now he's leaving Lyon, being linked yeah. to Toulon. I don't know if you've got any intel at all, Benji, but they had a big win this week yeah. against Bordeaux, but also Ebenet is off at the end of the season, early in his contract. Carbonell's going to Montpellier. What's going on with Toulon? Uh, cl- clearly something exodus not, not great that's for sure um so I, I, well, listen i think carbonel is a little bit different Car- carbonel has been in a lot under a lot of pressure to start um has not been picked for the french team was a little bit in a in a dark spot with patrice colazo uh, and then franck azema just picked up the pieces after after that he was already pretty pretty how do you say that in, in, a, in a rocky moment of his season so the, the, for him to leave is a big upset. I heard there was like a sort of a letter from the supporters of Toulon, you know, saying that it was a scandal and that his his heart and his blood is Toulon and stuff, and you can't let him. It's, it's true. He's got him leaving is Morgan Power leaving Clermont, right? There's 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 big big uh, symbol to it, much more than just any other player leaving. Eden Elizabeth is a huge loss in terms of player, yes. But if he decided to leave, he decided to leave. His home is not too long, you know. So at least he's always got the good excuse. If Carbonell tells you, you know, I won't leave the club, that means there's ser- a serious problem. So I just think they're not performing the way that they they, they should be, uh, even against who was it Bordeaux. It was still, they played really aggressive rugby and they were really fronting up and which was great. And Facundo Issa as a machine and Sergio Paris did well. Eden Elizabeth was on the band, was was on the field and, and you know, Serin and, and uh, Cheslin Colby fullback, whatever, mate, they've got, they've got some serious, serious players. But Cheslin Colby, for instance, the day that he does half as good as what he used to with the Toulon shirt on, you call me, 
because at the moment he's nowhere near his level. And I'm not saying it's because of him. I'm saying it's because the whole the team, team is not putting him in a place where he can shine like he would normally would would be. For one, he's playing fullback. I'm not sure if he's a complete fullback. Toulouse actually left him on the wing, right? And they just let him do his thing from time to time, not like force him with responsibility of kicking, of catching those high balls and all that. So I think it's, it's clearly complicated. Um, there's Franck Azema, yes, but there's also my mate Julien Dupuis who's, who's still in there. Um, I think if Pierre Mignoni is, is from Toulon, right? So he's always been the, he's the boy from there. So there's always a dream of getting him back. I was very surprised of seeing him leave uh, Lyon, but I think it's, it's maybe it was sort of his decision to say, my speech isn't really hitting the tone or hitting the heart of the boys as much as it used to, or as, it, as it should. Um, from what I hear, Bernard Lemaitre was pretty clear to say that it's not like he's coming to replace anybody. It was more an addition to the team. Now, we all know, because we're not stupid, and what this means, it means maybe that we can't get rid of anybody. <laughs> and then we'll see after, oh, three, four weeks, it really did not work. Huh? So we have to get a little rid of someone because I just don't see how it's going to fit. Fred Michelac rocked up there for, for skills. Julien Dupuis is in there. Franck is in there. Uh, I just think it's going to be one, one, one too many. So... And, and I'm not even sure that's the, that's the only guy that they decided to sign. I think he mentioned there was going to be another addition in, in, the, in the staff. So th things are changing. Things are not great. I, I clearly agree. Not great. So it's about leaving a contract till 2025, like upping sticks and refusing, obviously, a very well-paid contract because clearly it's not going well. If Mignoni is the guy that's coming in to fix it and you said you can't shift anyone around, I was going to ask, you obviously know Frank Azema very well. But Frank's been the number one at Claremont. He's currently the number one at Toulon. You mentioned other guys in the coaching staff. Could you envisage a scenario whereby Pierre Mignoni was almost a director of rugby and Frank was head coach? Would that work, I, I, or do you think? I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think it would be Crazy. unless un, unless Pierre decides to be. It's true that now that you say that Bernard Lamet did say that he he was keen on Pierre Mignoni not just for the team but just for the whole club. So there's an idea that he could be sort of you know. Development direct directive rugby, but in, in the big big sense, see oversee the whole sporting operations. Not on but, field. Yeah, because I think Pierre Mignoni needs a bit of a breathing time. Because he was saying that he was getting he was a bit suffocating at the end in, in Lyon. What, what I know about Franck is that he's a guy that is a straight shooter, that uh, that um, will not stay for the sake of it. He doesn't need the job. He doesn't. You know, it's not it's not a, like a survival mode. He will rather leave with a clear conscience and with his head up high than anything. But he's a team player, so he's ready to be flexible for anything as long as it's for the benefit of all and it's done respectively. I know that he gets along well with Pierre Mignoni because Pierre Mignoni was in Clermont, obviously, for a long, long time. And then Franck arrived as a backs coach. And I'm pretty sure they might even play together just, just briefly in, in Clermont and then, you know, and, and just missed each other in, in terms of coaching. So a lot of respect, uh, a lot of admiration on both sides, zero uh, trouble between the two. Eden Elizabeth, the only thing I could tell you, Johnny, is that you know how it is. It could be personal reasons. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. It's the only one where it could be. It's not like he's saying, too long shit, I'm just going to uh, walk out. He did say he wants he wants to go back to Safa for personal reasons, so there could be something a bit a bit deeper in there. And Johnny, two on one at the weekend, and we're talking about the trouble there. Toulouse, five defeats in a row. Is it just a case that they've got so many internationals they're all away, or is there more to it? No, it's just they've got so many people away. Even when they've had a few of them back, they haven't looked themselves. They look shaky. But when you take away Jelange, we talked about Marchand, then you take you take away two hookers from any team, like you're gonna struggle. You've also got Cyril Bayaway, Anthony Jelange. 
Antoine Dupont, Ntamak, like you're taking away the heart and core of a team against sides that aren't losing anybody at the minute. Toulouse have got the highest representation with the French team. So um, it's going to be a tough period. It always is. They're the team that always gets hardest hit. But you got to think come playoff time, they've got to be there, thereabouts, have all their big dogs back and be ready to go. But that's it. It's been a little bit worrying more also just the manner with which they're playing. They just look a little bit lost, not quite with the confidence and the swagger that we've seen the past two seasons. So it'll be really interesting when um, when Antoine Dupont everyone gets back. But at the minute, um, not happy. Five, five games on the trot, not good for them at all. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. A big thanks to Billy Jackman for joining us as well. And... You're off to make your annual phone call to Gregor Townsend, Johnny, with all that analysis out of round no, three. Done, mate. I'm, I'm off skiing tomorrow. That's what I'm doing. I'm going down to Spain because it's the kids' holidays here and I'm not picking up my phone, not speaking to anybody. I'm just going to look after crying kids, trying to get them in ski school and trying to have a nice time for three, four days. So I will see you next week and chat to you then. Good lad, enjoy. Thanks, guys. We'll be back next week to look ahead to Scotland, France. And thanks to all you guys for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review if you can as well. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. See you, fellas. Bye.